0: Welcome to the Daily Bite with your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we begin together a new book. We jump into the book of Exodus together. Exodus is the second book of God's Word and it's going to end up covering, well, it starts around 3,500 years ago as the Exodus itself happens. Uh, we can date that to 1446 BC. Um, So we are probably about 40 years or so, even earlier than that at the moment. So 1486, maybe around 1500 BC, when we're even starting the book, would be something you could certainly put a a date to. Um, So even if you go with the youngest age of creation that we have among Christians, which is the guess of around 6,000 years old, um, Genesis then has already passed 2,500 years of that history. And if you go with a longer date, then it just lengthens that time too. Because again, this, this is a pretty easy to date, firm date in history that we can look at. So Exodus is going to cover that span of time from Jacob and his family moving down to Egypt until really the, the 40 year wilderness wandering of God's people. These are the names of the sons of Israel, who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and D- Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the descendants of Jacob were seventy persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all his brothers in all that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful, and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us, and escape from the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens, They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, and they were more, and the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah, and the other Pua, When you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them on the birthstool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. So the king of Egypt called the midwives, and said to them, Why have you done this? And let the male children live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous, and give birth before the midwife comes to them. So God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, Every son that is born to the Hebrews you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. This is the word of the Lord. So our text today begins by reminding us to really revisit the end of the book of Genesis. So God makes his covenant, his promise uh, to Abraham. Abraham's son Isaac comes after him, and then Isaac's son is Jacob. Jacob gets renamed Israel, and Israel then has 12 sons and one daughter. You can feel bad for her if you'd like. Um, (laughs) But regardless, uh, 12 boys, they grow up to be the 12 that you have named there in verses 2 through five, Joseph included. Joseph is the 12th. The brothers sold Joseph into slavery because they hated him, um, and Joseph ends up being blessed in his service, first in Potiphar's house in Egypt, uh, until Potiphar's wife plays the dirty trick uh, that gets Joseph thrown into prison. Uh, Joseph then is blessed in his work in the prison, gets to basically rule over the prison itself. He ends up taking care of it, and eventually through some dreams and god working to bring about the the interpretations of these dreams pharaoh raises joseph not just out of prison but places him second in command over the whole land of egypt and it's from that position as the famine years strike that joseph is able to save his brothers and their families and also eventually invites them to move down not into egypt proper but into the land of goshen which was neighboring to egypt under the premise that egyptians don't like shepherds and a lot of god's people are shepherds so they live nearby but not in egypt this chapter uh, is then jumping in with a recap of that Um, so you have a big household of all these sons and their families that's at least 70 people big Um, as we see that number there in verse five, 70 persons, uh, that's, I guess we shouldn't say at least, I mean, we get the number 70 here. So Joseph dies, all of that family dies off, but they have descendants. Their family tree is continuing to grow as what we see in the next couple of verses. They were fruitful and they increased greatly. You could ask your children there. Do we have a command about that from God? Did God command people to be fruitful? In terms of population, yes, he did. Uh, That goes back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where God creates Adam and Eve in the garden and commands them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. In the New Testament, we are given Christ's command that we would be fruitful, and that is in sharing the gospel. Um, So that's a different connection that we could make here, perhaps. Uh, They grew so exceedingly that the land was filled with them. We get to verse 8 now. So Joseph, again, worked with Pharaoh. Uh, and had all the blessing Pharaoh could possibly give him. But a new king arises that doesn't know Joseph. Now, this could simply be a reference to some time passing. So maybe that Pharaoh's grandson who had no interaction with Joseph or Joseph's brothers or whatever it might have been. So the, the story just didn't get passed down very well. That's a possibility. It seems a little weaker because you do think that those stories would be remembered from one generation to another, at least for several generations. The argument that a lot of, um, a lot of Christians make here is that this is a move of a very specific shift in the Egyptian dynasties. Uh, there is a point in history where the, the Hyksos people really break into Egypt and put their own king upon the throne. And so there are some, including the 1st and 2nd century Jewish historian Josephus, that make this argument, and that that is why this king doesn't know Joseph. He's not connected. His family tree has no connection to the previous pharaoh. They simply don't know who these Israelites are and what Joseph did for the people of Egypt. So that's a possibility. Um, It's it's hard to be certain of something like that, but it's it's possible. And so this new king is afraid when he sees the the sheer size of the Israelites coming to realize that they are too many, they're too strong. And if they realize it, they could oppose him and dethrone him. And so it's the fear of the loss of power that causes him to make a a wicked judgment. He decides to em- enslave them, oppress them, uh, so that they won't think of, of fighting against him, so they won't oppose him. They won't have the opportunity. They won't have the strength. The slave labor will beat them down. Now, a family conversation could arise about that whole picture. Is that his only choice? This new Egyptian king, this new pharaoh, does he have any other options available to him? And I certainly let you brainstorm that, but I'll tell you, yes, he did. There would be other ways to handle a situation like what he faced when he came in. So... See if you can think of any together. As we go down to verse 11, they set taskmasters over them. They afflicted them. They gave them a heavy burden. They made them build their store cities. Arguably, you could suggest that maybe it is slave labor like this that built the Egyptian pyramids that are so famous today. I mean, we marvel at how they could have possibly done it, but if you've got a million people in a slave labor force, and you don't really care if they live or die. They probably do quite a bit. So something to consider, whether it was specifically the Israelites or if, if this Egyptian king and other Egyptian kings had this habit of enslaving others, it's certainly a possibility as well. So the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, the more they spread abroad. God continued to bless them and multiply them and make them fruitful this is an interesting statement to apply to the church. When you think of the church, the early church under Jewish and Roman authorities, but also the church throughout the ages, this statement has held true. The more that the church has been oppressed, the more the church multiplied, the more they spread. I mean, you think of the early church, right after Jesus. They're holed up in Jerusalem, they're hiding, and they they pretty much stay in Jerusalem for not just days, but even months. And it draws out until eventually you have Paul's persecution as Paul is seeking to, to destroy the Christians. Uh, and that is what helps to spread the gospel out of Jerusalem as Christians flee into surrounding communities and they take the gospel message with them. Uh, and so it is it is the persecution of the church that sometimes... does work to spread the church and there was an early church father I forget his name's Tertullian I think he's third century Uh, Tertullian would go on to say very famously uh, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church and so that's a neat picture to connect to this as well um, this historical event so Egypt made them slaves and worked them ruthlessly the other thing that we pick up in this text here in verse starting in verse 15 is that pharaoh tries to limit the hebrew population by destroying all their sons i mean yes eventually that does get rid of your slave labor force but it also gets rid of the threat the daughters aren't a threat they're not the ones who are going to make war against you it's the men who go off to war so pharaoh attempts to get rid of all the sons and at first he uses the hebrew midwives or at least he tried to he commands the midwives to kill all the baby boys that are born. You might have to explain to your child what a midwife is. They didn't have hospitals. And so midwives are the women in the community that have, have the practice, the experience, the training. When a woman is giving birth, they show up. They help. They help care for her and the child as the child is being born. Um, it's been a wonderful gift in communities throughout the world, uh, a necessary occupation that has some blessings to it, as well as its challenges. Uh, and so these two midwives, Shifra and Pua, are told to kill all the boys when they come out. If the child comes out of the womb, it's a boy, kill it. It's a harsh instruction. This is going to remind us of Acts chapter 5, 29, where we learn we must obey God rather than men. And that's what the Hebrew midwives choose to do here. They are not going to listen to Pharaoh's instruction. They're not going to kill the children. They do lie to Pharaoh. (laughs) You know, he calls them and asks, why not? Why did you do this? In verse 18, verse 19, they they respond by giving him a jab, a compliment to Hebrew women and an insult to Egyptian women. Um, But it's just not a truthful statement. It's not that the children were being born before they got there. I mean, even if that were the case, they could still do what they were told to do. it is that they fear god and they're not going to do this this wicked thing so i would suggest that they should have been more honest in what they answered pharaoh even if it would have made him angry i can't imagine what they said didn't make him angry so i think they would have been better off god would have protected them i mean god protected them through this god blessed them through this if god is going to bless these two women with families because they were they were faithful to him you know, he would have blessed them before Pharaoh as well. So trust in the Lord always is a lesson for us to learn um, from something like that, that we should be truthful and faithful at all times. But we're sinners. And even in our sinfulness, the Lord is still our God. And he still provides for us as he does for these two ladies here. So thankful that they did what they did. Just wish that they would have spoken a little more solidly themselves. Verse 21 is what we mentioned about God giving them families of their own. And then verse 22, since that backfires on Pharaoh, he gives the command across the land so that everyone hears it. Everyone knows that if a Hebrew person has a son, you throw the child into the Nile River where the child will either die by drowning or quickly be eaten um, by some kind of an animal not a good picture but it will lead us into the very familiar story tomorrow that pretty much i think all of our children know well from their sunday school days of baby moses